We are super excited to share with you today's Best of the Faculty Factory podcast, where we're talking about some of the best conversations we've had over the years on this podcast when it comes to grant writing. First up, we have Applying for Funding, Top 10 Things to Know with Dr. Donna Vogel. After that, we'll hear from Dr. Deanna Williams talking about grant writing habits and hacks. And finally, we hear from Dr. Elise Weirds about writing the right grant. Links to full episodes will be in the description of today's podcast if you want to check out the entire broadcast. To all the Faculty Factory community people out there, we love you and we look forward to another great year in 2024. Read the NIH Guide. The NIH Guide is an online publication, comes out every week, but you can also read it more often than that if you want the latest news. And in there are all the latest announcements about what the institutes are interested in funding, specifically funding opportunity announcements, that's program announcements, requests for applications, where they have money or an interest in a particular topic. And if it turns out that they're interested in something you're doing, you've really got a leg up on people who are working in other areas. They also use it to announce changes in announcements, changes in policy guidelines, what to do if your lab gets hit by a hurricane, all that sort of thing. So you must go to the NIH Guide for Grants and Contracts, just Google it and subscribe, and you'll get a weekly email, which will take you about 15 seconds to scan down and see if it's got anything that calls your name. Mm. The other thing is know what the parts of an application are for. In my workshops, I often talk about the anatomy and the physiology of a grant application. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is it's not just a bunch of words. It's a bunch of words that serve a purpose. So, for example, there's a type of content called preliminary studies. It's not its own section anymore. It used to be but there are actually two different kinds of preliminary studies. Did you know that? There are preliminary studies that help establish why your topic is important that speaks to the significance criteria for NIH, but there are also preliminary studies that show the reviewers that you know how to do something or that your plan has a high likelihood of success, and that speaks to feasibility. Mm-hmm. So your mm-hmm. writing serves a purpose. It is to convince the reviewers of something. And the more you understand what your writing is doing, the higher the chance that you will do it well. The other thing is... Choose a testable hypothesis that will give you interpretable data. And I'll just back up a second here and say that not every application is hypothesis-based. I certainly understand that in certain areas, particularly social sciences and qualitative research, you may have a research question that isn't exactly a hypothesis. So I mean research question when I say hypothesis, but whatever it is you choose, you have to have ascertained from your knowledge of the field that your question is important, but you have to frame it in such a way that the data you get can be interpreted. Mm -hmm. This is a very common failing. 
don't just end up with a bunch of results at the end and then you don't know what to do with it. That's right. And, and avoiding the, the, the play, like the plague, that uh, criticism of being descriptive, just how oh, descriptive. Yes. I like to describe something. Oh my gosh, you'll never get funded to, to describe something. So That's right. you're right, and turning it into a testable hypothesis or answerable question rather than describing something. Exactly right. There are, however, sometimes that you have to have an aim or part of an aim that yields descriptive data because they don't exist or because whatever normative data do exist aren't very good or are flawed in some way, so you've got to get better baseline data before you can do something sexier with it. In that case, I would advise you to bury it inside of a more mechanistic aim. You'll get those normative data, but you're going to get them as the beginning of something that's more exciting. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. There are two main things I was reflecting on that I think have been very helpful in me securing grants. And I think one of the first ones is being savvy and being very strategic about where you apply. And I'm talking mostly about the NIH, and that's the fact that the NIH has all these different ICs and sensors, right? And they all have their own very unique scientific areas of interest. And sometimes your work can only fit into one area, right? If you're looking at cancer, NCI is kind of the best one. But there are other times when your work can kind of go to different institutes depending upon how you pitch and kind of how you sell what you're working on. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's been very much a part of my career because I work on HIV, which can go to NIAD, which is the Infectious Disease Institute. But because I work on HIV neuroscience, I can go to MH, which is mental health, or NDS, which is neurologic disease and stroke. And depending upon what I'm looking at, I can even go to other agencies. Like if I'm doing health disparities, I can go to NIMHD. And so I think just being aware of where your work fits in and how you want to sell it is really important because each institute has different funding priorities. They have different pay lines, which means that they have differing amounts of dollars that they're going to earn, different scores that are fundable depending upon how much money they have or their interest. Sometimes they have differing success rates. And so there are times where your work, you might not think it's a natural fit somewhere, but if you may sell it, you may have a better chance of getting funded. And that seems to have worked really well for me, just being flexible and thinking about how I'm going to make my work fit into the overarching interests of a particular institute. You're saying two things that just right away made me reflect on my my own career and how how sometimes I see junior faculty members, early career faculty members say, well, basically you don't know what you don't know. So if you come up through your graduate postdoc training and you're working really hard to get primary data and get training grants, you may be uh, stuck in this, not stuck, but you only know, for instance, for me, for gerontology, NIA, National Institute on Aging. So I think, well, I'm a gerontologist, I'm doing aging research, this is it. And all my, my mentors are here. And this is where I'm, my mindset is here. But what you're talking about, and I hope the audience members get this, especially if you're early career, is broadening your scope and your frame and your lens and opening, poking your head up out of your own little institute or center niche and see what else is out there. 
you don't know what you don't know. I guess this is hopefully maybe some people think, oh, geez, let me explore these other institutes and see what are their mandates. What are they calling for? What are they funding? What are they what are they doing? And then talk to mentors and try to think of other avenues, like you said, where you might kind of stretch your research into into other institutes. How else would faculty know how to do that? Again, back yeah. to what you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So I actually spend a lot of time looking at the Institute's websites because on the websites, there's so much good information. They tell you exactly what they're interested in. They tell you their budget and what they have money allocated to. And it just helps you really think about where you're going to submit. For instance, since I work on HIV, each institute has dedicated money that they are congressionally mandated to give to HIV. So even though you may go to aging, you may look at aging and HIV, that kind of thing, which people might not necessarily think about. So looking at the website just shows you exactly what they're interested in. And if you are aware of that, you can pitch it according to what they say they're interested in. Another outstanding tool is this thing called NIH Matchmaker. You just Google it. It'll come up. It's a place where you can enter text, either an abstract or really you can even put a specific aims page if you want to. You put the text in, you hit search, and you can do one of two things. You can look up a particular program officer, and that's helpful if you're trying to find someone you want to speak to about is your project within the scope of a particular agency. But another thing you can do is look to see which agencies have already funded work that has similar words to what you put in. Mm-hmm. And it's outstanding because that's where you see, wow, I can go to NINDS and NIDA and NIFH depending upon how I sell it. And they kind of have a histogram plot so you can see which agency has funded the most grants relevant to that topic. Another outstanding thing that the matchmaker shows you is it also has another histogram plot showing you which study sections funded those grants or which grants went to that study section. And that's just also incredibly important because if you know, again, the priority of that study section, you can tailor your work to fit into the interests of those people. Wow. You can even then look up the members of that study section and begin to think about how you want to write your grant to kind of suit their expertise. Wow. So that so two things is what I heard. Go to the Institute's websites, just noodle around there. You just Google NIH, see all the different institutes, go to each of the websites, and then explore NIH Matchmaker to see these histogram plots that search on your key terms. And then another thing I'll add is that NIH Reporter, which will tell you what's been funded, what in, what uh, university, who's the PI name, to get, get another landscape of who's doing what. The second thing I was thinking, you know, not only do you not you don't know what you don't know, but the second thing is everything you're describing to me is kind of the corollary to when we write a research paper, we do a literature review. And I would be so, you know, ridiculous in the rut of only searching Medline for many, many, many of my papers. And, and for a lot of my work, it made sense. But then when I started saying, Cam, there are other, you know, psych info and other fields that have their own search engines and when I started broadening my scope to look for literature, lo and behold, yeah, these journals may be speaking to marketing people or business people or ed- education people, but a lot of wisdom, naturally, uh, maybe I'm the only one who, have, who realized that I was being so ridiculous, 
learned that, wow, I'm overlooking a potential goldmine of wisdom about methodologies and theories and applications and how interdisciplinarity can help. So broadening the, the literature search is kind of what making me think of what you're doing with the grant. It's the same thing. You're doing a preliminary search to see what's available and then honing in on your particular application or paper, right? Exactly. It really is about trying to make sure that you're going really where you belong because you can have the best science, right? Like just an awesome idea. But if that institute does not work on that, no matter how great it is, or they don't have dollars allocated to that topic, it's not going to get funded no matter how great a job you did. Love it. And so a lot of frustration sometimes with not getting grants, you can kind of minimize that by just making sure you're really targeting and thinking carefully about where you're going to submit. What is your advice or what kind of things do you want to share with us today about writing the right grant? Yeah, so I think, I think all of us have an idea of where we want to go and, and we have great ideas for future grants. And the idea is to write the first R01, which is the most logical one, the one that builds on your prior work. Because once you have the first grant in place, it's a lot easier and you're, you're more polished in getting the second grant. And if you have a progression of where you want to go, you know, don't try and go with a giant leap. Maybe you've got to do some building blocks first and that, that's your first grant. Most important, you've got to really think about what you're going to write. So what are the goals and questions you want to answer? And do these questions align with the NIH priorities? So are you writing on a topic that is fundable? You know, is it, is it something that NIH is interested in? Is it have a good public health impact? You know, that there's one thing I say over and over, which is talk to program. They want to help you. So if you, if you can identify a program officer in your area or just stop by the booth when they're at scientific meetings and talk to them, they will tell you a lot of information about how to successfully find the right alignment of, of funding agency for your idea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just aren't spending it at the right place. I think you gotta, you gotta know your, your field and, and do a lot of research before you write the grant. Make sure you've got all the background literature aligned and, and that you are not trying to essentially redo a study that's already been done. And most of all, I think try and read other people's grants. So if you have a mentor who's a you know successful grant writer, uh, ask if they're willing to share their grants. So you can see the structure of it and see what works well and what doesn't. I honestly think by reviewing grants, I became a better grant writer myself. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.